This is the Ezra Podcast. You know, it's a kind of an interesting weekend for fights, and it made me really think about, you know, how we, well, how promoters make fights and how the business of boxing really is going. And it's funny that, it's funny the things that open your eyes, like, and, you know, it just, it's it's something that was so obvious to me, but it's maybe it's more obvious to people now. This is like the perfect example of what I've really been talking about this whole time, right? What I've always said about boxing, what I've always said about growing the sport, um, what makes the sport could make the sport consistently great all the time. And the fight that came was the perfect example of it was Amir Khan versus Cal Brook. About seven years too late of that fight happening was the perfect example of what I was talking about on, you know, what boxing could be if you just fight the big names against each other, right? Like if you just two names, right? And we forget about these fake titles, right? Where there's four, five, six of them, right? Four real, four ones that people, I guess, like acknowledge as real ones that are all fake, right? Because they only make, they all make their own rules in the rankings. And so if you just forget the belts and the rankings and it, and you just match up two big names, uh, you know, it really, what this weekend show was how great this sport can actually be. And that's, and this was a miracle on Cal Brook. I told you this is way past their prime. This is not, you know, in their prime. Uh, winner's probably going to go on and fight for a title. No, th- there was no chance of the winner going on and fighting for a title. Right? It had nothing to do with the rankings. It had nothing to do with the belts. And it had the big fight feel because it was two names. And it's funny, like, people say, you know, you need to look what Jake Paul's doing. Look what Jake Paul's doing. Why is what he's doing working? Why aren't these guys following that? And the main thing that he's doing, right, other than being a celebrity and building that online, but the other thing he's doing is he's not allowing the restrictions of rankings or belts or, you know, how boxing, these, this fake rule format that we put in, he doesn't follow that. He just makes a fight with, like, the next possible big name or biggest storyline he could match up with. And Amir Khan and Cal Brook is not a fight I was excited about because I knew that Amir Khan was shot. I knew that Cal Brook was... Has, has seen his best days and they were no longer here but as you you know as I turned on the fight and as you you hear the people and you see the crowds and everything you realize like this is a big fight this is this fight is bigger than you know what I was thinking and why was that it was just like it's just because these are just two solid names in boxing and now imagine I was just thinking like imagine if the guys that were actually in their prime use this strategy to build themselves Right, and if boxing uses strategy, these promoters use the strategy of just building themselves. Right, instead of uh, Benavides, right, fighting David Lemieux, why didn't he just fight Caleb Plant? Right, even though Caleb Plant's coming off a loss, it's just the two biggest names that are not Canelo. It, why isn't Bivol fighting Zerto Ramirez? I don't know. Like, I don't get the. As far as, especially like the fans, like why do they get stuck with the rankings and the belts and argue all these things? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a major flaw that we have in the sport. In a sport that needs growth. This is a major flaw in it. That we have guys fighting or waiting or following this ranking system or waiting for a champ or all these things. It's like, hey, just fight the name that is, you're able to fight, right? The, the big name that's on your side of the promotion and everything, fight him. And that just, it's that simple. It really is. It's really that simple for the sport. But let's talk about the Amir Khan versus Cal Brook and what exactly how I told you it was going to go. Amir Khan no longer has any legs, coordination to be a professional boxer anymore. 
and Calbrook still had some remaining. He still has his strength, still has his balance, still has a structure there. I thought Calbrook made this fight a little bit harder than it had to be. And when I said, you know, usually I give a counter of like what, you know, the fighter that I picked to lose, what he could do to win, I didn't have one for Mirkan. Because I, I didn't think that he had anything left to take. But I did say that there was one thing that would really help him out in this fight is if Calbrook went straight at him. Right, because then that made Mirakon didn't have to chase him, didn't have to use his coordination, and could kind of sit back on his uh, sit back on his stance and just explode when uh, Kelbrook went towards him. Kelbrook went towards him, but still was more effective than Mirakon, and Mirakon was just not going to take those shots and be able to trade like that and survive. So as, as soon as he hit him, he would hurt him, and then you just kind of knew like it was only a matter of time. Even though it went to like six rounds, it it just felt like a matter of time from the, the first. But if think, I had to think that if Calbrook, which, you know, even Calbrook's prime would be able to, you know, come forward and then pop back and catch you as you come come straight at him. Or, he, you know, he would move straight back and be able to, if you jumped in, to hit you, pot shot you. He didn't do this in this fight. And maybe, you know, like I said, he's he's older too. Maybe he didn't have the spring and step to do that or the coordination anymore to do that. But he, he just forces... Forced the issue with his right hand. And he got, he got Amir Khan out of there. So I can't really say, you know, like, oh, this what an incorrect strategy. It was the right strategy. It, got, it ended up with a, a win as the result. So how could it be wrong? But I just thought that it kind of made it a little bit harder, right? It would have been better to me if he could have really exposed Amir Khan jumping forward and not being able to keep his balance. He never got there. He put the pressure on him, takes him out. Um, looks like that's the end of Amir Khan, right? Uh, you know, leaves on a solid event, solid payday. But... There's just no way you could really convince anyone that Miracon is going to be competitive in a fight anymore. Now, Cal Brook, there's a few interesting ways he can go with this, right? As you go with um, fight Connor Ben, right? He could fight Connor Ben, 147 pounds, or he can go up to 160 and fight um, uh, Eubanks, right? To uh, two uh, legend sons. Right, he could go fight one of them. Now, the 161, the reason why people bring that up is because Eubanks is on the same promotion, this boxer, the boxer promotion, as Cal Brook. So it would seem like that'd be the easiest fight to make. And Connor Ben is on the matchroom side of the street. Now, the Connor Ben one makes a lot more sense for Cal Brook than the Eubanks one, but the Eubanks one probably would sell pretty well too. So you can't necessarily eliminate it. And also, Kelbrook has won up to middleweight before, even though very unsuccessfully against uh, Triple G. He did, he did show some stuff, right? He did show he has some stuff, but just doesn't have exactly... You know, that was when he was in his prime, and now he's far out of his prime. So it, it could be even more of a disaster than that one was, where he got stopped and his face broken. Now, Conor Ben fight makes sense, but also it could just make sense, like, Kelbrook just walks away with the victory over a bitter rival, right? And a big payday and two big paydays because he got the one with Terrence Crawford. So it's like he's got a few good paydays and he could just walk away, right? Walk away into the, the, the sunset. So he tells me he's not going to do that. I, if he does go, continue to, uh, continues to choose, chooses to continue fighting, I hope he does go the Conor Benton route. I think that's... At least, you know, more logical, right? As far as then going to middleweight. And the funny thing is that Connor Ben and Eubanks have also talked about matching up at like a 158 catch weight. I think Eubanks is, you know, 
kind of realizing there's really no one on that side. The boxer has that is, you know, one of the middleweights that he needs. So he's kind of like searching for a name right now to see if we can match up with. But I do like the boxers kind of like, you know, they see the event of it, right? They see of just putting guys against names. It, makes, it really makes a lot of sense. I wish the sport would do that more. The other fight I want to talk with that talk about that happened this weekend. Remember, this is a, I didn't announce it going in, but this is the boxing edition, right? Of my post fight breakdown, as you could tell from the Miracon Cal Brook breakdown. But you have a uh, Jamie Mangia, Jaime Mangia, Jamie. Damn it! I'm telling you, the Spanish readers are gonna hate me. Like I, I you know, I, I don't speak Spanish. I just gotta get that out there right now. And if people don't like that, as a, a Mexican that doesn't speak Spanish, it's, it's people frown upon it. And now they called uh, Jaime Mangia Jamie. I can only imagine. I can only imagine how pissed people are. But Jaime Mangia versus Demetrius Ballard. And Mangia looks easy. I've never been high on Mangia. But I'm not going to deny that the improvements are there. The improvements are definitely there. He's definitely more balanced. He definitely sticks more to a game plan. He's definitely more combinations. He has go-to punches. He has, you know, a... A more sturdier defense than ever. And Demetrius Ballard, who I think was put in a good opportunity here, right, against Mungia, because Mungia is still kind of, you know, perceived as, like, kind of beatable, right? Like, it's kind of, he's not the best middleweight. No one is saying he's the best middleweight in the world. And he has the biggest name, and it's like, you know, I just to me it feels like Ballard was put in a decent spot here to if he was gonna have some success and I thought that Ballard would definitely be able to sit on punches more. He did. He was not be able to do that. He was pushed off his spot basically every time Mangia threw and Mangia kind of hurts him early with a big left hook and you could just kind of see like the Ballard just was not gonna have the, the goods to withstand in there. You know, not gonna have the chin to stand in there and be able to trade Mungia, which I thought, I'm like, you know, if you if you have something go on, which Mungia has, with Ballard has like a big left hook, you know, Mungia's kind of got the, is eventually going to get caught by it. Not saying he'll get hurt, you know, he'll test his chin, but you know, he didn't really even get caught in this one. He didn't. He was a one-sided, and for feigning the round, you know, the the day before at the weigh-ins to get into this and looking this impressive, it's it just, you know, we got to stop denying in that me, I've spoken negatively about negative about him, as far as you know what he was capable of. I didn't, I wasn't too positive that he could, you know, reach the certain level of guys like Charlo or Canelo or Golovkin. But like to me, you know, he's not that he's not that level yet. But he's moving in the right direction, and he's definitely those fights are way more competitive now than they were, you know, a few years ago when he was willing to fight Golovkin. The Andrade fight seems to make sense for him, but it seems like Andrade's moving up to 167 pounds. It looks like he wants the Golovkin fight. Golovkin looks like he's going to fight Canelo, supposedly. The Adamas fight is the fight that I think a lot of people would be very excited for, as far as, like, you know, at least boxing heads would be very excited for. I don't expect Mangia to be walk out of this as the best middleweight in the world. I don't. But I do admit that he he's in the conversation now, and I never had him that before, and I never would have projected him to be in the conversation as the best middleweight in the world. He's in there. He just is. And he's got a lot of power. He takes a hell of a shot. Now he's starting to throw combinations. He's getting a lot more balance here on his steps. Speed's definitely improving. And as far as speed, like, 
people say, well, how can you get, you know, training get faster? Which you definitely can. But he's also eliminating, like, a, a lot of the nonsense of his throwing motion. He's also doesn't have to think much of a shot. He combinations. So, before he's throwing one shot and then has a re- reset to throw another. No, he's, like, letting three shots go at a time. Big left hooks, too. So, we're going to see where he goes from there. But he's in a, you know, not a bad spot. He's, you know, probably, you know, top three name in the middleweight division. And if, and honestly, you could probably take like the number one spot on that. Now, I would say I have to take Galuck with Galuck is number one, right? Charlo two, Mungia third, but I think he could easily, you know, with with the right opponent, right in the right venue, the right promotion, he could easily take number two, possibly, debatably, get to number one. It's all gonna see where he gets. It's all gonna depend on where McGee goes from here. I hope it's Adamus. I think that's an excellent fight. It'd be a, a fight I'm very much interested in. On the undercard, we had um, Cepeda, William Cepeda, and William Cepeda is, you know, he's he's high in the hype train right now, right? And there, a lot of people were so hoping that Ryan Garcia would fight him. A lot of people were calling for Devin Haney to fight him. A lot of people were saying that you know, he could possibly beat Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia. I think we have to be very careful when you say these things. And I understand, you know, boxing, there's a lot of flavors of the month, right? And you got a lot of turnover with fighters. That You want to be the first one. Everyone wants to be the first one to, to a certain guy and to call the, you know, call it first that he's going to be a world champion and a world beater. And Cepeda has looked pretty damn good at moments. But then you have performance like what we saw here. And it was a guy that just, you know... A little bit looking to stay safe, a little bit looking to stay, uh, you know, kind of awkward style, hard to time. And Sabita didn't look elite when doing that, right? When facing that, he didn't look elite. He didn't look like he could beat David Haney. He didn't look like he could beat Ryan Garcia. And he's never looked more beatable. And it's that's why the matchmaking is so important as far as, like, when you grow these fighters, like, where are you going with them? What's the plan? And who are you matching them up with? And what are you trying to see from this guy when you match them up? And I think if they saw this guy's style, which was like, a, in the, you know, it looked like to survive, looked to get awkward, looked to hold, maybe they should have stood away from this, right? Especially because everything they're doing right now is to push Cepeda in a positive direction. Not, he doesn't need stay busy fights right now. He's young. He's They're building him, trying to get his name out there. A stay busy fight doesn't make sense. So that wasn't a stay busy fight. That was a fight to build his resume, his, his, his name value and all that. And it didn't do that. It made him look more beatable, right? And so that failed as far as the promotional side. He got the win, yes, but it's just he didn't walk away looking like a world beater. Even David Haney tweeted again, you know, out again uh, to Del Hoya saying like, "This is the guy you thought would beat me." He, you know, I don't think anyone walked away there. If you really believed that he could beat David Haney, you didn't have more evidence at it. You definitely had less evidence. Um. And I don't think that it was like, you know, sell all your stock. It just, just, just the fight that happened really didn't do much for him. And it maybe even hurt him a little bit. I have another podcast this week. We have a lot of fights this week. Coley comes back. Um, it's just, uh, Josh Taylor is going to defend his undisputed crown at a hundred, uh, 140 pounds. It, a lot of fights this weekend, it's, you know, starting to pick up a little bit. We haven't had any major events. Um, not, don't look like we're getting any soon, honestly. 
that's why the importance of what I want to talk about Miracon and Kelbrook and you know how they mash it up is really important now the logic that we have when we're making these fights and what's possible and what's not possible it, it, it kind of always has to be questions I think in boxing it needs to be questioned really bad right now thank you for listening this has been the Ezra Podcast